Amen. Amen. Good morning, family. It's interesting that song came up. It reminded me of a conversation that I had uh, this week. I was doing, uh, uh, having a meeting with uh, someone on my team, and uh, they started out the meeting talking about, uh, I, I started off like we often start off meetings, how are you doing? He said, well, uh, Russia's going to uh, invade Ukraine. All the stuff is going on in Canada, and the, the world is falling apart, and everything is going on. How are you? I'm like, wow, that's, that's a way to start the meeting. And he goes on to say, well, how are you dealing with all this stuff? I mean, is this something that, that you and Libby are talking about, or are you guys struggling like, like we are? And I kind of said what we just sang. I, I told him, my trust is in Jesus. My, my hope is there, too. I will not be shaken because of who he is and what he's done, regardless of what's going on in the world today. I trust in the one that is above and beyond all the other things that's going on. So while this stuff is bad, it's, it's trying, it's, it's troubling my hope, my conviction, my, my trust, my all, my everything is in Jesus Christ. He said, huh. <laughs> He's a believer too, so I was able to have that conversation with him, even though, I mean, he, uh, in the workplace, but it gave him a new perspective. It, it told him that he doesn't have to be so uh, uh, bearing all these things on his shoulders because he believes in Jesus who's above and beyond all these things too. So that's not the sermon, but, but man, they, they are already preaching to us with the music this morning. Praise God for that. Praise God. So uh, did you all ch catch the uh, Super Bowl last week? Did you uh, see one hand go up? No, nobody else is, you know, kind of, sort of. Maybe the halftime show, that's what you were interested in. Maybe, maybe not. A lot of stuff talking about that. But the L.A. Rams are the Super Bowl champs again. They were able to come from behind and basically a Hail Mary to, to, to get them above, what was it, 23 to 20 at the end of, of the game. And so I didn't watch it. I, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I'm kind of salty. I mean, they could have done this when they were in St. Louis, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. They, they did it in L.A. They got one when they were in St. Louis. But forgive me if you're not a football fan, because I'm not either, really, to tell you the truth. But when we're talking about football and other sports, most people understand the concept of offense and defense, right? Because, uh, you know, 23 to 20 is not a huge scoring game. So that, that tells me that there was a lot of stuff going on on both sides of the field for the offense and for the defense. And some would say a good defense is a good offense. But I would submit to you today that we need both. And any coach of any sport will tell you the same. A, a defense, for those of you who are uninitiated, a defense, it prevents or minimizes the other team from scoring, right? So you're playing against somebody, they're trying to score on you to get points, and your defense is preventing them from doing that. While on the other side, the offense is when you and your team is in control and you are attempting to score points. That is offense. And again, I will submit to you today that both are very important. In that Super Bowl game last night, if, if one side had great defense but no offense, you know, it would have ended and well, would have gone into overtime, but <laughs> because the score would have been zeros. Or the, if the other team are doing good in their offense, even getting past defense, that just doesn't cut it. 
So as Christians, our goal and our mandate is continuously to be on the offense, right? Why? Why is that so? Because we're told so in the Great Commission. We're told in Matthew 28, when Jesus is about to ascend, very, there, there at the very end in verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, then go therefore and make disciples, not in, just in your backyard, not just in your neighborhood, not just in your city or town, but to go and make disciples of all nations. But don't stop there. You need to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's not even the end because we need to continue on there, which we as Baptists, and I'm, I'm willing to admit, we do a poor job of this. We go and baptize and yes, we did it. Now let's go baptize more. But we skipped this last part when I, and I think it's the most important. That's probably why it's at the end. It tells them that to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Our job is not done when we go and, and share. The job is not done when we go and baptize. And we need to continue on and teach them all that Jesus has commanded. And we're not alone. You're not by yourself. He didn't just tell you to go out and fend for yourself. No, he says, and I am with you always, not just today, not just tomorrow, but till the end of the age. This shows us that we must have a good offense. We are commanded to take the gospel to the nations. We call this evangelism and or discipleship. But at the same time, we need to also have a good defense. We need to have a solid defense. So you might know the term apologetics. Apologetics is a term and it literally means to speak in defense. I love this verse. If, by the way, if anybody take, every time I say I love this verse, I wonder how many times I say that <laughs> every week that I'm here. I would love to see a tally one day. But one of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 3 and 15, it says, always be prepared to make a defense for the hope for, uh, to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone, anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. So just like sports, both a good offense and defense are very important when it comes to our faith, when it comes to building the kingdom of God. Not only are we supposed to initiate gospel conversations, but we should also be prepared to respond when people ask us about our faith. Just like I told you a minute ago when, when I, uh, my coworker, but the guy on my team says, what, are we, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff? I praise God that he prepared me to give a defense for the hope that I have in me. And I was able to share it with him in that moment. And I hope and pray that it provided him hope as well. But when we do this, we need to be ready to explain why we're Christians, why we have this faith, why we can have this joy. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen a lot of our disciples and apostles. They're, they're on the offense. They're going out and spreading the good news. And we've mostly seen Paul here lately, um, and, and they're going and telling 
today, um, and, and even even though before that, you know, we we see awesome them give a defense as well, right? We see them jailed and beaten, going back and forth. Uh, today, we're just going to see more of that. Today, we're going to get an opportunity to see more of Paul being on the defensive, and we'll see how he handles it. Look with me in Acts 21. We're going to start in verse 17. Acts 21 and 17, here God's word reads. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters uh, received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went with us uh, to uh, went with us to James and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands were among the Jews and those who have believed they are zealous for the law. I'm going to pause there because I love how Paul, he, he rolls into the city and he just starts to brag on God. He rolls in and meets these folks and like, let me tell you how good God is. Man, what, what, what would it be? What would it look like if we opened up our conversations like that? What, what would the conversation I alluded to earlier, what would it have looked like if he started off with talking about bragging on God and how good God is? Talking about the miracles and, and the things he's so thankful for as opposed to the things that are weighing him down. What would that look like for some of us to start off our conversations? I, I remember um, having conversations with my grandmother and, and, and ask her how she's doing. And most of us, when we say, hi, how are you doing? It's just a thing we say. We don't really want to know how people are doing, if we're honest. And, and this struck me when I was talking to my grandmother one time. I said, how are you doing? And she started to tell me about how all her aches and pains and the things that weren't going right. And, you know, 30 minutes later, I, I got to really feel and understand <laughs> how she was doing. But what if we really cared to hear what it is that they're they're saying and, and but on the other side what if they really did come out and say well first of all let me tell you how good god is i woke up this morning I, even though i've got all this kind of stuff going on i just praise god that i can praise him with my mouth that i'm able to have a, a mind that is is understanding and can, can communicate to others god is so good god is so great and then you can transition to, I'm trusting God to help me with all these ailments <laughs> that are going on too. But what if we started our conversations about how good God is and bragging on him? Most of us, we would rather brag on ourselves. Most of us were like, well, well, let me tell you about my week. Let me tell you about what I did and what I accomplished. And we hear a lot of that, or don't we say those things often? Let me tell you about my promotion. Let me tell you about how smart I am. We might not say it in those words, but the way we communicate does say those things. Paul, however, he starts off and he goes to say uh, what's going on and he is sure to give God all the glory. God is using him as an instrument. So he could have very well said, man, I stepped into place and started preaching the gospel and people were just falling out and they were taking my garments and getting healed and all that. Man, it was awesome. I'm so bad. I'm good. I'm that. I'm strength. What's the, what's the term? We don't say dope anymore. I don't know the millennial terms, but Paul could have said many of those things, but no, he didn't. 
he, he came in and talked about God and what he did and gives God all the glory. The text says he related one by one the things that God had done. The NIV tells he's explaining it in detail. He's like, I just can't tell you one by one. I need to tell you exactly what happened from moment to moment, play by play. This is what God was doing. This is how good he is. So let's double tap on that. I think we are so busy that we, we tend to go through life from one thing to another and we don't even recognize what God is doing in our lives. We're so busy getting from one point to the next that we totally miss what God is doing for us. That we neglect to recognize and give God glory for who he is and what he is doing in the here and now. So that if you do have to give a defense, you're at a loss for words because like, I got when did God show up for me last time? What was the thing that God did for me? Like, how, how, how can I conjure up something now in the moment? But if we were to be in each and every moment, if you were going to be here right now, I know you're physically here, but are you mentally here right now? Or are you somewhere else? If we were to be physically where we are right now, intentionally blocking out everything else that is going on and to be here and to understand and recognize what God is doing for us in our lives, man, this, that, that will be life-changing for us. It would give us the ammunition that we need to not only be on the defense, but also to be on the offense. We talk about defending the faith and we talk about uh, why we're Christians, but we have trouble when we don't recognize or acknowledge the hand of God in our own lives becomes really tough for us. I'm reading a book. Um, I, uh, the name of the book, oh, Story Worthy is the name of the book um, that I just finished reading. And in this book, he talks about homework for life. This was really powerful to, to me. This, is, this guy is not a Christian that I, that I don't believe, but um, he, he talks about homework for life. And what it is, is the ending every day and with a journal and you jot down um, one of the most powerful things that happened for you that day. Well, what's one of the one things that highlight for your day? And as a Christian, this, this speaks to uh, how we can recognize what God is doing for us. If we were to end every day and to write down how God showed up for us in that day, and then we have those things to look back on, Man, how life-changing would that be? So when we need to be lifted up, when we need to be encouraged, we can go to our own lives and see, man, just, just last week, God showed up for me this way. When I was struck and I was downtrodden, God brought this person into my life to give me encouragement. Man, I would love, I'm going to start this practice myself every day just writing down what God has done for me in that day. You might have a list of things, but at least have one. At the end of the year, you have 365 things that God has done for you. He's, he's done a whole lot more than that. He does more than that in a day. But, man, let's give him glory day by day for what he is doing in our own lives. Psalm 103 and 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Like I said, we get so busy with all the mundane and, and everything else that's going on that we forget 
the benefits. Brothers and sisters, don't forget what God is doing, what God has done in your lives. Don't take God for granted. Treasure it. Share it with others. Let's start bragging on God. Somebody asks how you're doing, you can think back to your homework for life, the thing you jotted down the night before, and say, let me tell you how good God is. When we got the sinkhole fixed uh, a couple months ago, that's all I could talk about when people in the community would ask me, how, how are things going at the church? And I said, exactly, let me tell you how good God is. We had the sinkhole. We didn't know what to do. We couldn't afford to pay for it. We, we didn't know what was going to happen. It could, we maybe would have to close our doors if it, it got so big and it got hazardous. But one day, the, the village just showed up and, and plugged the hole. I don't, I don't know why they said they weren't going to do it. We still need to address it later, but now we have a stay. But that's how good God is. We, we, we didn't know how to make a way out of no way, but God did. God did it. Man. Don't forget, treasure it, share it with others, what God is doing for you in your life. In verse 20, Paul shares what God was doing and what he'd done for others and and what happens. He's, He's sharing with others and they in turn glorify God with him. It said, Paul says, look at what God is doing. And then the folks listening are like, oh, that's, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Thank him. Those who are in the periphery that don't know Jesus and don't walk with him, like, man, that is amazing. I need to hear more about this Jesus. This quickly t- takes a turn for the worse, unfortunately, because of his truth. There's haters in the building, and Paul begins to get attacked by this mob. They start to throw out accusations against him that um, should remind you of some of the things that were against Stephen when he was martyred. The Jews thought Paul was telling them to abandon their Jewish heritage, which definitely wasn't true, but he was also accused of allowing Gentiles into the, into the temple. We see in Romans 10 and 4, Paul says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so even though he felt this way, he understood this, he he knew this to be the case, he didn't insist for the Jews to give up their Jewish customs. He breaks it down further in Romans 14 through 15, if you want to read more about that, and 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, if you want to jot those down and read more about how the, the, the Jesus brought the end of the law, but we are no longer being under the law. James knew there would be something that um, would cause some chaos, and he knew there would be some potential drama. So he lays out a plan to prevent this unnecessary craziness. He's like, hey, the people, they, they are already talking about you, Paul. So when you go in, here's some things that I want you to do so that we can curb some of this, this activity, activity. So with, with Paul coming to, uh, he's coming from the Gentile territory, James recommends that he goes through a seven day purification just to show that Paul also observes the law. He has nothing against it uh, as as a a broad thought. So it it wouldn't make sense for him to tell people not to do it because he's doing it himself. 
he goes through this purification. And James also sent a letter saying, hey, you know, the Gentiles is with us, is hanging out. Uh, they're going to abstain from idols. They're going to abstain from blood and animals that have been strangled, sexual morality, immorality, and all that stuff. They're, gonna, they're not going to do any of that stuff. Right, just so they were clear, have everything out on the table. They're trying to do the best they could in order to set the stage to prevent everything that we see happen. <laughs> None of this was necessary, by the way, but they did it uh, in order so that uh, they can they can curb any madness and that people would be able to be available to hear what Paul had to say. However, as a missionary, Paul does what he needs to do to remove any barriers. This is so important for us. I've talked about this before. When we look at missionaries, they're going overseas, they learn, they learn the customs, they learn the traits, they learn how people operate, they learn the language, everything. They want to do as much as possible to remove the barriers so that they can go in and be able to share the gospel. But what we forget is uh, uh, missionary action doesn't only take place out of state out of the United States. We are missionaries here in Bolingbrook, and there are barriers between many of the people here in Bolingbrook. And so we also need to remove the barriers that might exist. First Corinthians 9 and 19 walks us through some of this as Paul talks about it. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. Why? That I might win those under the law. To the outside, to those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. He goes on to say, to, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I also became all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share them with them in its blessings. Paul means what he says when he wrote this, and he exemplified it in his own ministry and as we've seen him be faithful to his Jewish heritage, we see this happening. And if you remember, even he had Timothy get circumcised in order to maintain unity. Timothy didn't have to do that. Paul didn't have to ask him to go through it. But in order to maintain unity and be able to get the gospel across, they were both willing to do that. All without forsaking the gospel. But Paul was able to put his personal preferences to the side for the sake of unifying and advancing the church. What a novel idea. Putting personal preference to the side for the advancement of the gospel. Hmm. Instead of using his Christian liberty, he makes himself a servant or a slave to anyone much like Jesus did. Uh, later, Paul talks about, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. He's living this. Because when we look at, uh, at Jesus and, wh and wh what he did, he, he says to the Philippians, Paul does, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
let us let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He said, be like Jesus who humbled himself, who thought more of others than he did of himself, who became a servant so that he might be able to reach them. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we have to adapt. Sometimes we have to bend in order to reach people with the gospel. I often say that once we get saved, we often forget what we were saved from. We've been, we've been saved for so long, we forgot what we used to do and what God brought us out of. And we want to judge people who were in the same place we used to be. Remember what God did for you, even though he didn't have to. We forget how messy our lives were before Christ cleaned us up. Again, without compromising the gospel, or participating in sin, we have to adapt to the ways of another group for the sake of the gospel. Some people just can't relate to us anymore. We've been saved so long, and we're not like we're not even human anymore. Like I, people can't relate; they don't understand. We use all these churchy terms and all this kind of stuff. People don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we're tar- trying to reach them with the gospel, talking this foreign language, acting as if we are so holy and never done anything wrong. We, we need to check that. But even as Paul and group, they're going to try to uh, eliminate or at least mitigate some of the things that are happening, despite all of Paul's efforts, we have this rumor mill that takes place. We have this gossip that sparks up. Look with me in verse 27, chapter 21 was when the seven days were almost completed. The seven days of purification is what it's talking about. The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, helped, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people of the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and he defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up. People ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. These folks immediately start to throw wild accusations against Paul and everybody gets wild up. They start to conjure things up in their mind. 
Ooh, look, look who, who Paul's with. I bet he took those folks to the temple. He know they're not supposed to be in that temple, defiling everything. And not only that, he's telling everybody that we can't do our own customs, talking about this Jesus guy and, and everything that's going on. And people just got riled up because more and more people are talking. They're talking. Isn't that how gossip works? Make up some stuff in our own head and start dreaming things. We don't, it don't matter that we don't have the facts. But we go and have this idea and we start talking to people and we get others riled up. That's why it has no place, no business in the church. Is this gossip. We're talking about people. And then we try to be slick about it. We try to be holy about it. When we talk about gospel, we, I got this prayer request. You know, uh, so-and-so was at the bar and they knew they shouldn't have been there because they're alcoholic and going, oh, oh, cut that out. <laughs> Trying to be slick with it. And, and slide in this gossip is disguised as a prayer request. No, we don't, we don't need that here either. We'd be praying for those folks, but we don't need to, to go in that detail and be riling everybody else up. Because instead of the prayer request, instead of earnestly praying for that person, we're thinking about all the things. Oh, man, they just, they just bad. They're, they're a lost cause. We just need to separate from them and just have them fend for their own. No, we need to be intentionally in prayer for them. We know that um, Paul didn't do any of these things. They they say Trophimus, uh, and they assume that he had gone into the, the temple with Paul, but Paul didn't denigrate the, the law. He didn't denigrate the, the temple. But regardless of this, the mob, they did try to take Paul. They tie him up. They beat him. They take him away. They weren't trying to hear it because the gossip was stronger than him trying to defend themselves. And as Roman, as the Roman surgeons are taking him away, Paul asked if he can say something to the people. They were taken away. They had bound him hand and foot. They're taking him away. And Paul's like, hey, you, would you mind if I address the crowd real quick? I got a few words. I got a few things that I want to get off my chest. Can you imagine this? I love how this, this is described and we can see this in our mind's eye. And, and what's interesting is when, when Paul goes and said this, they're, they're thrown off by Paul's ability to speak Greek. And they're like, whoa, this brother speaks Greek? Like he's good at it too. I mean, he's fluent. He knows what he's talking about. He's got the right accent. And apparently there was an Egyptian assassin that was going around stirring up a revolt. And it's like, this guy, this gotta be that, that guy who's going around the Egyptian. They asked him, hey, are you that Egyptian that's going around and stirring up trouble? It's gotta be you. The way you speak Greek, he had he'd just gone through the purification, had his head shaved, all the stuff. And Paul tells him, no, I'm not the terrorist. I'm not Egyptian, but I am a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus. He begins to lay out you know, his background and where he's coming from and what he's doing. But what, <laughs> Interesting again to me is that he didn't show his driver's license or his passport or none of this stuff. He didn't have people confirming like, oh, yeah, I knew Paul from way back in the day. And no, he's not that dude. But the Roman soldiers is like, oh, oh yeah, that sounds plausible. I, I understand. That makes sense. Go ahead and say what you got to say. We'll give you the floor before we take you and, and, and chain you up some more. <laughs> so Paul, he goes and provides a defense to the crowd. 
And as he speaks, he, he does two things. He first, he, he goes, uh, he shows that he in fact is a loyal Jewish, uh, he has a loyal Jewish heritage. And even though he, he confesses Christ. So even though he confesses Christ, it's like, hey, I'm a Jew by, by birth. I, I, here's, here's the heritage. I, I hold it up. I, I do the things. I uphold the law, but I also follow Jesus. And the second thing is he wanted the crowd to hear about his conversion and understand that the result of his ministry wasn't anything about him, but everything about Christ. Ultimately, he takes this opportunity to share the gospel. Sharing the gospel with a crowd, by, by the way, that wants to kill him. Even though they, are, uh, they form this mob to go and they're, they're actively yelling, kill him, get away, get, get him away, get him out of here. He's like, well, hold on a second. They need Jesus. I don't know about you, but that, that, that would have been hard for me. But man, what an example he lays out for us. And he goes on to, to tell his testimony about what uh, his encounter looked like with Jesus Look with me in chapter 22, verse 6. It says, I was on my way, drew near to Damascus about noon. A great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to, to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And, he, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will uh, be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because I, of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Paul goes on to describe his complete conversion story. Um, and is very intentional when he's telling the story. He wants to tell about the encounter he has with the Savior. And he goes on to talk about Ananias, if you remember the story. And he's very careful to describe him as a devout man according to the law and well spoken of by the Jews. This, this gives Paul uh, a bit of credibility here because he was led to faith by someone that was known for keeping God's commands. And throughout his defense, Paul draws parallels to the Old Testament. The Jews are, are here and they understand and know the Old Testament back and forth. So he infers that the same God who called Moses also called Paul. And in speaking to uh, speaking of Jesus as the righteous one in verse 14 here in chapter 22 is a reminder of when Isaiah, who talked about the righteous one who would be oh, an obedient servant wounded for our transgressions. And even down to the vision he talks about later in the chapter in verses 17 through 21 is reminiscent of Old Testament texts that uh, would explain his mission to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. Something for us to take away here is how gospel, or, uh, Paul addresses the, the soldiers and the crowd. Like I said, I, man, there's so much going on here that I can't imagine how hard it is. I mean, I just get get sideways doing little things, but all this stuff going on, Paul is is very succinct. He's very solid and foundational on his mission. 
And that's what he's got his mind on. Not the, not how hurt he is from the beating, how, how, how tight the chains are, how hard it is to move, how mean people are being, where this crowd came from, and all the stuff that they're saying that doesn't make any sense. No, he's not thinking about any of those things. He's thinking about how those people need to know the name of the Lord. The Lord would have to do some work in me for me to be have, having that, 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 that mind, mindset to be able to do it. But praise God for, God for Paul's example. He stays cool and calm. He's gentle. He's loving. He's compassionate. It is amazing to be able to read. And I pray that if I'm ever in a situation like this, that I would have the same calmness. As calm as I am, those are some extraordinary circumstances to be under to maintain that calmness. And if you're ever mistreated, I pray that God would give you the grace to love the person or the people just enough that you would share the gospel with them with gentleness and respect like Paul does here. You have to admit this takes a lot of courage. Paul stands his ground and he speaks with boldness about God and who he is. What a great example for us here today. Even under calm circumstances, I, I pray that we have the confidence and strength to be able to share the gospel with anyone who needs to hear it. Paul understood the foundational truth that God had called him to share the gospel and to make disciples, which, by the way, is the same mission you have today. Your job your main purpose in life is to make disciples. My question to you is, are you prepared? Are you willing? Are you able to go and make disciples? Or perhaps you're here today and you're not yet a disciple yourself. I'm going to ask you to choose today who you will serve. We're all serving someone or something in our lives. The only thing that matters is if you serve, serve the Lord. The, the only thing that is, is going to matter at the end of your life, at the end of eternity, well, there's no end of eternity, but for eternity, is who you follow, who you trust, who you serve. So I want to encourage you today, if you have not made that choice, let's, let's have a conversation about that. I want, I want to urge you to make that choice here today. And if you do follow Christ, I want you to get on mission with him to make disciples. I want you to be able to be prepared to be on offense. And at the same time, for us to uh, be prepared to be on defense when it's necessary. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for being with us, showing us an example that we have through Paul and what he went through, and, and even as an unimaginable as it is for us here today. Um, man, thank you for the boldness that he had to speak to your people. And We don't know how many people were saved that day, but and know the people uh, were able to snap out of everything else was going on, able to see through the lies and the gossip, and to be able to hear the truth on that day. Won't you use us, your people, here in the same way?
Give us the courage and the strength to go and proclaim the good news to others. You've put people in our lives so that we can be a walking, talking testimony of, of what you've done for us. Help us to bring those things to remembrance so we can brag on you and give a defense for the hope that we have within us, that we can be on the offense and, and go and share with, with anybody willing to stop and listen who you are and what you've done. We thank you for all that you continue to do. Thank you for just loving us in, in a very special way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.